This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Oh, good evening and welcome to... Talking Devils, the leading independent Manchester United podcast. I'm Paul, and this is episode three of the United Before Fergie podcast. If you're watching live on YouTube or Facebook, then please feel free to get your comments or your questions in. If you're watching the replay, hello. Uh, But do still feel free to comment as we will reply. If you're listening back on the audio podcast, please be sure to subscribe and leave a review on the platform you're listening on. Uh, This week, my guests are the two Tonys. We first have got Tony Davis. Uh, who was a lifelong United supporter, who was 15 years old at the time, um, and he attended this particular match that we're going to discuss tonight, and we're going to get his experiences of the day. And also, uh, welcome to Tony Park. Uh, many of you will know him as Mr. Mujak on Twitter, um, author of Sons of United, United Historian, Collector of Memorabilia. Have I covered it all off there, Tony? Have I missed anything out? It's <laughs> about right. So good evening, uh, chaps. Thank you very much indeed for for coming on the on the podcast, um, we were just talking before we went live about um, about the topic of today's podcast, which is the 1983 Cup final. As we're quite tightly tied in with Brighton um, in this topic, so obviously after the excitement of yesterday um, of the the penalty shootout, which we're not going to talk about, because we don't cover that sort of stuff. Um, and it's 41 years ago to the day when Norman Whiteside made his debut as a 16-year-old for United against Brighton at the Goldstone ground uh, in a 1-0 win, um, where, where a winner by Ray Wilkins. And, and I'm no doubt he'll come up in conversation at some point this evening as well. i also like to talk through or go through some comments that, um, you know, the, the our social media followers have given us both on Facebook and on Twitter. And there's been some brilliant stories. Um, and that's really what we're all about. Um, so, give you Tony's, how are you both? I'm fine, thank you. I'm happy Good, after. thank you. No, welcome, welcome to the podcast, Tony. Thank you. I appreciate you, you coming on. And uh, and uh, Mr. Mujak, as I want to refer to you about now, I think. How are you, <laughs> sir? A lot, a lot better after yesterday. Although, <laughs> of although, course. Although it was one of those games where a lot of United fans. I don't know if you went, Paul, but at the at the stadium, a lot of people were like. You know, just particularly after Thursday last week, there was a degree, mm. not nervousness, but there was just a just a funny feeling around the stadium where 
just to get the result, I think, was really pleasing. So the I journey think, home was a lot better than it could have been. I, I bet it was. But, you know, when it got to penalties, you're like, oh, okay, I might as well pack up and go home. I know, and, because, and, we were, and when he took off Fernandez, we were like, oh, my God, he's taken off one of our best, you know, the, the number one penalty taker. And we were trying to work it out because it, it looked like dead cert penalties, you know, from about half an hour to go. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, it all ended well. Yeah. So, so let, let, let's, let's take it back 40 odd years. Um, so we, we played Brighton in two completely contrasting games at, uh, at Wembley in 1983. Um, what I'd like to touch on first, and I know we, we, I very briefly sort of mentioned this before we, before the, before we came on, um, is that is around the FA Cup. Now, today's, the, the younger generation, c- correct me if I'm wrong here, I don't think have as much appreciation for the FA Cup as us older fellas do. Um, you know, it, it's kind of watered down now. It's a Saturday tea time kickoff, whereas back in the day it was a three o'clock. It was Saturday afternoon. The build-up was all day long. Um, and I just want to try and give a bit of context around when us older fellas talk about the FA Cup with such glowing terms, why we do the way we do. Um, and, and I'm sure there's many that will listen that will ha- maybe have the same thoughts and feelings. So I'm going to go to you first, um, Tony P, Mr. Mujak. The FA Cup, what, try and describe the, how the FA Cup was, how we all felt back in, you know, sort of back in the 80s when, uh, when we were like younger. Well, I think it, I think it was one of those things that started before that, Paul. I think I'm not talking for everybody. I can only talk about myself. Um, Television coverage wasn't like it was now. So as a consequence, you got match of the day once a week and that was it. That's all you got was match of the day. Mm -hmm. And match of the day often covered, you know, a couple of first division games, a second division game, maybe even a third division game. And so you never even saw all the other teams. So what what basically happened was the only game you ever really saw live was the FA Cup final. So and 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 once again, you know, there was only one team in Europe, the team who won the league got into the European Cup, the team that won the FA Cup got into the Cup Winners Cup. If you won the League Cup, you didn't get anything. And then if you finished second or third in the league, you got into the UEFA Cup. So there yeah. was only, you know, the whole European thing was low key in comparison to what it is today. So as a consequence, the t- the, what was on TV was incredibly minimal. Um, and, and I'm talking from, a, from a, a perspective of living in Australia at the time. It could have well been different in England, but I'm not so sure it was that different. Um, Tony and yourself will probably know more, obviously. But, you know, coming from a football family, my father would say, you know, this is the one game of the season. It was the last game of the season. It was the end of the season. It, you know, the, the the team who had played in the European Cup normally wasn't an English team. You know, the team who won the league, it was over and done with. So this was this, this huge crescendo of getting to the final. And there was a, a romance and a history and any team across the league could have done it. And and there was this, you know, and in the 70s, before we get to the 80s, in the 70s, you had Sunderland in 73, you had Fulham in 75, you had Southampton in 76. So, you know, you had you had this this romance of it wasn't just the top two teams in the league who got there. So therefore, it was really exciting. It was really exciting. Any you know, football fans from all over, 
the country and all over the world felt that their team could get there. So come to 1983, and um, it was a you know a reinforcement of that because obviously Brighton had just got promoted to the first division a couple of seasons previous, which was unheard of in terms of their history. You know, they were, you know, not a renowned club with any form of history at all. And so to get, and they were relegated that season. So to get to the FA Cup final, you know, made that romance even bigger. So, so there was huge drama that was, wasn't existing in any other form around about that time. And people still had memories of United losing to um, Southampton in 76. So the, the you know, this, and, and Sunderland winning in 73. So, you know, the underdog had chances. And so that's what created that drama. The money wasn't, you know, as divisive as it is now. So, you know, the Brighton team of that day, had a, they had a very good team. And, you know, as as other underdog teams did as well, they were very good sides. So anything could happen on a day. And, and it was cup football. Anything could happen in the cup final. So you always went in with a degree of the final day of the season with that romance, but also the apprehension that there were no certainties, anything could happen, form is out the window, you know, all those cl cliches that you hear about the FA Cup. And it was true. And I think, you know, that's what made it such a special occasion around the world. It was you know, all of those things drawn together in this penultimate clash that would finish the season in some form of flourish. Either the, you know, the top team would would prevail and, and be historic or the underdog would win and, and the fairy tale would continue for another season. It was great. Yeah, you, you make a, a massive point about the romance of it. Um, you know, for, I mean, I was 11 in 1983 and for me, it was the World Cup and the European Cup all rolled up into one. It was arguably the biggest day of the football season. The league, and, I, and I touched on this on a, on a couple of podcasts ago, is the league is, is what you always you wanted to win because that was, you know, that was your bread and butter. But the FA Cup just had something mystical about it. And the way I, I looked at it as a kid is if you win the FA Cup, you are the best team in the country because every semi-pro and amateur team and professional team can can take part in the FA Cup competition. Um, obviously, it's the same now, but it, it just seemed me, an eleven-year-old kid, is like the FA Cup. This is the best thing ever. Um, so, so Tony Davis, um, what are your recollections and, and kind of what did the FA Cup mean to you as a fifteen-year-old walking down Wembley Way, heading to to the historic final? Just how do you sum up the FA Cup for anyone who perhaps wasn't born in the eighties or said, "Well, it's kind of a." Tim Pop trophy now. It's all about the, the Champions League and the Premier League. But it, it certainly, most certainly, was not like that. No, no. I, I mean, I think I'd take my memories back to um, the December before when um, the uh, second round proper would end. And um, I think it was on the a Monday lunchtime then, uh, the draw for the third round would come in with all the uh, top two division clubs in um, and, and the excitement that that generated. And then You'd slowly, especially as United often were then, if you're having a, a league season where you weren't really challenging for the title, mm. uh, you'd be excited at that FA Cup tie coming around in, in, in the cold weeks of January. And then as you got through the rounds and the ties, and you, um, I mean, for part of me, especially being 15 and very, shall we say, impressionable, uh, the, the massive followings away from home, um, I think we went to. Derby and Luton uh, in that FA Cup run with huge United, huge and raucous United followings and 
and prevailing as well um and sort of seasons changing you know and getting slowly warmer uh, as, as you reach that and i remember the the semi-final against arsenal at villa park in a really hot sunny day um and like you say absolutely poured down in um at wembley on on the saturday anyway on saturday afternoon um and it was just the build-up uh to that really across the season especially as as often happened united's uh league form um, collapsed a little bit towards the end. It was just the FA Cup, and you know, uh, I, I, ju- I remember the excitement because Bryson knocks out Liverpool uh, on that run um, when they really weren't supposed to. Um, I mean, Liverpool were, were fairly dominant in, in in those days, weren't they? Um, and I remember the excitement of that giving United a, a sort of route to, to that uh, trophy. Uh, and these were the days where we wouldn't win many trophies. I mean. Mm. I was following him. He'd only from about seventy-two. He'd only won the FA Cup once in in seventy-seven, and um, and then it was that excitement and just be walking up Wembley Way, fully expecting a victory against a, a relegated Brighton team, it was just amazing. And you mentioned television a short while ago, and and I remember thinking, oh, I won't watch any of that this year because I'm actually going. And hoping that the experience of going would would replace it, and and it did. It you know it it dwarfed it really just to be there amongst tens of thousands of United fans in fairly expectant mood was was amazing really. Yeah, uh, you're quite correct. And you know, as a uh, you know, in my a very uh, very well even a teenager then, it was um, it was massively exciting, and it and it almost felt then that. The league was secondary, in 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 my in my sort of eleven year old head. It was well, we're never, you know, we're not we're not challenging for the league as as maybe we would have. And it, we are we're a good cup side, you know, 76, 77, 79, 83. Um, and for me, it just felt like the most glamorous trophy to win. You know, you you were in the FA Cup final, you 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 made it. It was better than winning the league. It was better than doing this and other. Obviously, as I've got older, that has, has slightly changed. But like you say, we, you know, we, we never really, really pushed Liverpool um, for the title. Um, but I think the FA Cup is, is it's just always been, and even now in my fifty-one-year-old head, it is still, um, you know, a fantastic trophy that that you want to win, and it's one of your goals at the beginning of a season is, is to get to the FA Cup final because for me that kind of sums up the uh, the whole glamour behind the around the tournament um but when we want to talk about the first match we do want to cover the replay as well so we've got quite there's quite a lot to to uh, to unravel here so so the first game um absolutely threw it down um very much like it is today and like it was yesterday which which I get them was was very ironic the fact that it absolutely chucked it down yesterday and United were playing Brighton at Wembley um so um Tony Tony Mr. Mujack, how old were you in nineteen eighty three, dare I ask sir? I was uh, twenty years old. So twenty years old. So, I just funny enough, twenty-one years old. I just had my twenty-first birthday because my birthday's okay. in early May. So I just had my birthday leading leading up to the first the first um first game. What what do you remember of your experience of that? Of that day, I mean, did you have the build-up like we that we did here? No, where it, 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 it's just okay. It, it doesn't. I mean, it was always one of the things when you live in another country. You you uh, 
um, you miss. And my father used to tell me about, you know, the build-up because because he he was obviously um, he he lived in the UK before immigrating to the to Australia. So he would often tell me, and my grandfather would tell me, you know, about the you know you'd get up at eleven o'clock and you'd watch from twelve o'clock onwards or ten o'clock onwards. You'd watch four hours of TV, which was really unheard of. And so they would they would often tell me those kind of anecdotes about the players having breakfast in the hotel and all the interviews and 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 it was really weird because even with an Australian sport with those big games they never had a build up like that you know so mm. the you know the Aussie Rules Grand Final the Rugby League Grand Finals or whatever they never had any of that stuff so it was really unique um, and so what would often happen is the TV in the in the in Australia was around about one o'clock in the morning. So you would kind of, they would kind of go in at 12.30 and you'd you'd get the preamble and you'd get the last kind of 15, 20 minutes of before they'd enter the pitch. And then you'd get obviously the 10 minutes of ceremony where they'd walk onto the pitch and, you know, get introduced to the, you know, royalty and all that stuff. But what I, rem the reason I remember it so clearly was, you know, as Tony has just said, in actual fact, by by mid March, we were we were really challenging top of the table. We we were playing really well, and then we lost to Liverpool in the League Cup in March, mm. and and that really affected us. I think because there was really we played so well, and and we'd lost that, and that raised a lot of expectations because we had these two great semi finals with Arsenal, which we we played brilliantly in those games. And then we played Arsenal again, as Tony's just mentioned, in the semi-final of the FA Cup. So it was quite unusual to to face the same team in both semi-finals of both competitions. So when Brighton had had defeated Liverpool, that that gave everybody a real lift. Every, even where I was living, you know, people felt with Liverpool not being there because it it affected. I mean, I think we lost. I think we I think we only won three games of our last ten or eleven in the league. And if we'd won, if you know, those seven games we drew or lost. If we'd won them, we would have been still fighting for the league. But it it was that kind of Liverpool had that kind of mentality over you. So so when when Brighton and United were were let out, and, and the TV was making a lot of noise about Steve Foster, one of the things that I, I guess you'll know more than me in some respects is most people didn't really know all the Brighton players. So when you looked at that Brighton lineup, the first thing that you noticed was you know, who in the hell is, I mean, we knew Graham Mosley because he had played for Derby and, you know, he was a, a, you know, a player who'd been around for a little while. Uh, and, he'd also experienced defeat, and he'd also experienced defeat against United in a, yeah, a semi-final. Yeah. And, and we knew Jimmy Case because Jimmy Case had played for Liverpool in 77. Uh, but the other players, to be really frank, you know, Chris Ramsey, Gary Stevens, Graham Pierce, Gary Howlett, you know, we didn't know them because we didn't watch Brighton every day of the week. No. And because, as I mentioned earlier, they weren't on TV regularly. You didn't really get to see these players week in. A lot of them were unknowns. So from a United perspective, you know, there was a, there was a lot of talk in the media about um, Steve Foster not playing. But for the average United fan, I don't I don't think even think that was on our mind. That wasn't a huge thing that was made out by the press. And we we were just well I was anyway just incredibly confident. 
having played so well against Liverpool in the, the League Cup final and, you know, being very unfortunate to lose the game due, due to what I would call, you know, a, a couple of bad decisions and, and an injury um, where Gordon McQueen, you know, had to go up front. He could hardly run. You know, we were very, very confident. And then when you looked across our line and you saw the likes of Robson and Wilkins and Stapleton and Whiteside, who had a very, you know, a very good season. And Arnold Murin, of course, had that experience wow. in his first season from, from Ipswich. I, I was just really, really confident. And even though we didn't get the build-up, you know, when the teams walked out, it was kind of, I really felt it was like a bunch of unknowns versus a team that I knew and had extreme confidence in. That's what well, I remember. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned the, um, you know, the, the two teams wow. and, you know, and, and the two lineups. So Brighton had Graham Mosley, Chris Ramsey, Gary Stevens, Steve Gatting, um, who, if, if my memory serves me right, is brother of Mike Gatting, the England yeah. cricketer. Graham Pearce, Neil Smiley, uh, Tony Grealish, or Skipper, Jimmy Case, we all knew of, um, Gary Howlett, Mike Robinson, and Gordon Smith, who, again, will no doubt come up in conversation a little bit later. United's mm -hmm. team that day were Gary Bailey in goal. He had a back four of Mike Duxbury, Kevin Moran, Gordon McQueen, and Arthur Alberston. Um, you had midfield of Alan Davis. I'd like to I'd like to you know talk about him for uh, briefly. Um, so Alan Davis, uh, Ray Wilkins, uh, Robbo. Arnold Muren, and up front you had Stapleton and Norman Whiteside, and the substitute that day for the first game was Ashley Grimes. Um, you know, when, you make quite a good point, Tony. When you look at the two teams side by side, again, I don't, I've never, I know who Jimmy Case is, uh, but no, Graham Mosey. Don't know what these other boys are like. And so there was a lot made of um, of Steve Foster not being on the team, and obviously came back in the replay. And you know, it's that that first game was. I thought United were actually quite nervy when, when you know, when, when it got going and, and and things got, you know, the match started really getting into it. It, um, you know, we want to go, we want to go behind. You know, Gary Stevens opened the scoring for, um, for no, it wasn't, it was um, Gordon Smith. I beg your pardon, Gordon Smith opened the scoring. Um, Tony, you, you were there. Um, what, yeah. what, what was the feeling like in the in the United end? Was it disbelief? Did you think this isn't happening, or was it kind of expected? How what was running through your through your fifteen year old mind at that point? Um, like I said, as we went down there and, and up Wembley Way, we were very very expectant, quite ro raucous and quite boisterous. Uh, but um, and obviously Bryson had been relegated, and there was various uh, jubilation amongst the United fans that City had gone down with him unexpectedly the week before as well. Um, and then Brighton just came out and it was so open. The first 30 minutes was so open. Um, and Brighton, uh, like you say, we took the lead after about 15 minutes. It, it didn't look a great piece of work from, from Gary Bailey and Nets for the, for the header. And um, then it was nerves, nerves on the United team not to go 2-0 down. I think we were always confident we could get an equaliser, but we did it, really didn't want to go too down. And then I think that spread to the seats and the terraces. I, I think the United fans were, were, for the rest of that half, relatively quiet uh, from how they'd been. It was a real, especially with the, the heavens opening, it was a, a real dampener on, on the atmosphere in the United end. But it then put a real cup-tight edge to it, didn't it, with the the underdogs. And, you know, Brighton were underdogs. Let's, let's not bait around the bush here. They were definitely the underdogs for the game. And it, had, it took on that real cup-tie feel of, you know, one mistake on that wet, surface could 
you know could be disaster for one of the teams um yeah. and you know obviously it didn't it didn't quite pan out like that but it could have been a lot worse um steve renfrew on on twitter said he went with his dad it was his first final his favorite player at the times was ray wilkins and i know tony mr mujak you're a huge butch fan uh when he curled it in i nearly exploded you weren't the only one dave I was 14. His uh, dad died just before Christmas, and he'll be thinking about him from yesterday. Um, and he gave me my love of United. What a great gift. Chris Lepkowski, hope I've pronounced that right. Uh, the first cup final he remembers, he was supporting United as everyone wanted Brighton to win. So he assumed, this is a good one, United were the underdogs. Uh, remember the number seven catching the eye, but that wasn't unusual, Chris, to be honest. Uh, Pat Stevens says, Butch's goal, Bailey's save, then falling down the stairs, cracking my head and laying on the sofa with concussion for the replay. Um, no, we didn't laugh at that, Pat. We really didn't. Uh, Mark Kelly's, the replay was his first FA Cup final or his first FA Cup final experience. David Clark, uh, I watched both games on TV. It became a big deal. Now, I didn't know this because it was the third final in a row to go to a replay. Between 1912 and 1981, there had only been one other replay, um, which uh, I, I never knew that. Learn something new every day. And Red Rebel says he lives 15 miles from Brighton. He's been a United fan since 77. Gary Bailey saved the whole school going to the replay except me and my mate who were United. Um, then getting smashed 4-0. The day after the replay was a great day at school. And lots and lots and lots of these. Uh, Paul says, Stevie Foster, Stevie Foster, what a difference you have made. Some with relish on the terraces at the replay. Um, I've got I've got so many of these comments. I don't know if, if an hour is going to be long enough. We might need longer. Um, but, you know, we then equalised through uh, Frank Stapleton. The ball comes to the far post and he kind of barrels it into the roof of the net. And then for me... Um, a goal that could have could have graced a World Cup final, a European Cup final, and is in my top three favourite goals, FA Cup final goals of all time. Um, Ray Wilkins, um, Tony, Mister Mujek, you love Ray Wilkins, as I just touched about. Talk to me about that goal. I I, I will never bore of seeing it. I've got to be honest. I think what I remembered most was his celebration afterwards. It was almost <laughs> like because he never scored many goals. Um, but it at Chelsea, funny enough, at Chelsea, he scored some screamers at Chelsea and he had a quite a good goal scoring record for, for a midfielder, but he was so, he was so classy. I mean, I, I loved Ray Wilkins. I thought he was ahead of his time. He was, he was a player who, you know, in, mo in the modern game, he would be a star in the modern game with the way he could control the game. He's passing. He never gave, never gave the ball away. I mean, he, you know, he was often criticised for ball retention, which is crazy um, in these days when, you know, that's what you... But he 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 had a great right foot, a great left foot. The only thing he really lacked was pace, to be fair. You know, he he, he was such a, a tactician. He was such a, a, a you know, a good thinker of, a, of the game. And then when he... And funny enough, he, he got a little bit... He got a little bit of stick that season. But it was weird because... Um, a lot of people forget he was actually Man United and England captain before Robbo. And it was only when he was injured the following year and he fractured his skull or something that Robson took over both for United in England and, and, and Ray couldn't get the captaincy back. But he was, he was such a superb footballer. So when he got it and he, and he bent the ball, it was one of those goals from, 
from our perspective, virtually, I don't think any, maybe Murin, but very few players on our team had that kind of ability to to do that kind of thing. It was just outstanding. And then he then he kind of went on a marathon of a run where he was just, <laughs> and, and people couldn't catch him. And you think he, he ran faster in the celebrations than he did with anything on the pitch. It was it was just sublime, but it lit up the whole game. The game was, as Tony said, it was a little bit nervy for most of it. And and that just lit the game up because it was a goal of pure class. And it was a shame, really, because it should have been the goal that won the cup final. It was that goal. Yeah, it was. Um, and I was delighted for him because even then he was my one of my favourite players. Um, and um, and then obviously you know he had the, he had um, the, the privilege, obviously, of picking up a his only trophy at United in the replay. So I was delighted for him. Yeah, I, I, and, I've, and I've read that in interviews, he he was knackered. He, he knackered himself out from from the, the just tearing off in celebration. And I've got to be honest with you, if you score a goal like that in an FA Cup final, it doesn't matter. You <laughs> you are you're not just going to walk back, are you? You are going to go on an absolute rampage of a celebration. But I, but I was curious to ask Tony, what was it? What was the like? Was it like in the stands? Because I was going to ask exactly the same question. Because it's bad and it's not bad enough. It's fantastic enough just to score a goal. But when you score a goal like that, but it, it was one of those things where you, you, when when the goals go in at the other end, you, you you kind of wish you were closer to it. But because it had such a curl on his shot uh, from behind the other goal, we had a great view of it. You could see it bending in uh, even better from afar than you would if you were near. So it was really. Um, you know, a glory and unexpected, partly because Wilkins wasn't known for his goals at United. Um, it was really a glorious moment. Can't remember him running off so much because we <laughs> you were going nuts at the same time. Uh, um, and I remember him saying after that he, he, he blamed uh, he blamed Brighton's equaliser on that run because he didn't have any puff left of him. <laughs> but. In the seventy-second minute, it was fifteen minutes later or something that Brighton equalised. Should have got it back by then, but no. Uh, like like you say, it, it, the unusual four goals in that game because um, Stapleton, of course, uh, scored and became. I think he was the first player then to score for two different clubs in a, in a FA Cup final, uh, and I still think he's the only one to score for and against United in FA Cup finals. And then Smith, of course, his miss at the end, and off people often forget he scored the first one. Um, and and then you know the the equaliser and Wilkins' great goal is often forget forgotten in that, especially with the, um, the goals in the, the four goals in the replay means a lot of people in a lot of people's memories. It's the, the goals in the replay uh, that that are often focused on. But it was a, it was a great moment. It looked like we'd come back and taken the FA Cup. Uh, at, at that point, that we'd finally, and on the terraces as well, the, the United fans had fa- refound their voice. I think in the second half, uh, and, and didn't really have to. It didn't take too long for them to equalise. I think it was about ten minutes into the second half when, when uh, Frankie uh, equalised, um, and again not too long after that, about twenty minutes when Wilkins put us ahead. So it felt like we'd come back and and won two one again. So the conceding the equaliser was quite a shock. Yeah. Tony, was was that Wilkins goal? Was it one of those where you're behind it and it you knew it was in before it got in? You're like, this is in. Was, yeah. it, was it one of was it one of those moments where yeah. you think, is it? Is it? When, oh, I, this is... 
definitely going in. Yeah, from where I was, which was slightly on the right of the big end, as soon as you knew it was curving, you knew that that would, if it stayed low enough, you knew it was going in. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, looks... poor old Graham, so poor old Graham Mosley must be sick of left-footed United players when Gordon Hill scored against him in the 77 semi-final, or 76 semi-final, 77 I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and Ray Wilkins, obviously, is a little bit more to the right, but and I said, it's in my top three favourite FA Cup goals of all time. If you're interested, Ricky Villiers in 81 for Tottenham, the little mazy run um, right. he scored. And, and of course, Norman's. Norman's. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to take any more, go any further than that. But <laughs> yeah, it's so Trevor, Trevor O'Callaghan on Twitter, he was nine. It was his first time that really understood why he was following United. He loved the team. The jerseys, Robbo, my hero, still is. Yeah, you're one of many, Trevor. Uh, crushed them in the replay. Smith must score, which we'll come to. That was the team of my childhood, and I loved them. Stapleton was class. Daz Dent, listening to the tra- the game on a train via transistor radio. Hear the words, and Smith must score, just as we enter a tunnel near home. Ten-year-old me sulking, presuming, presuming we'd lost. Um, Hughes has a great goal from Butch, and huge relief at the end. Dan Donnelly, the best United team ever, the one that reeled me in. Alan Folds, what a night. Saw my team lift the FA Cup, got back home about then, left school that morning. Oh, okay. Andy Dibble, both games. Wilkins' goal is brilliant. The save from Bailey at the death and that chance in the replay. Stevie Foster, what a difference you have made. Happy days. And Craig says, um, I won't use the the explanation he's got here. Drunk on Wembley Way. Let's put it that way. Four times in 1983, Sparky complaining of price of burgers outside of £2.50, which in 1983 was an awful lot of money. Um, Butts500 says he jibbed in the replay wrong end and got leathered. And Steve Johnson was a train strike and he had to go in on the coach. So we're, we're two and up with five or six minutes left, um, Tony. And are you thinking we're home and dry or are you thinking there's still a potential banana skin to be had here because Brighton were pushing forward, trying for an equaliser. Was it on the terraces? Was it expected or was it kind of, yeah, we'll just weather the storm. We'll, we'll ride this out and then we'll go home as two, one winners. What no. happened? What, what was it like when you I, think this is going to, this is not going to end well? Yeah, no, I thought it was, I thought we were a bit overconfident probably. And, and I didn't expect Brighton to equalise. Uh, and, and the sort of victory songs were just starting to get going as we, we got to the last few minutes. Um, I mean, Brighton performed well that day. We, we sort of yeah, did. performed better than the relegation fodder we were. Um, so it was, it was a, a shock when that went in, and I think it shocked the team as well. We, For me, we never really threatened in extra time. It was, it was United had probably scored their last goal. Um, when Wilkins scored, because we just weren't expecting the for Brighton to come back. You know, we'd, we'd had a pretty awful last half of the season, Brighton, often in the FA Cup. We, you know, we'd been relegated quite quickly. Um, you know, we were one of the first teams to go down, so we really, you know, we really didn't expect such a robust response. And maybe that was my naivety as a 15-year-old. Yeah, so we, we it finishes 2-2. Um, we go into extra time. And I could be honest, I think it kind of passed by a little bit until um, a couple of minutes from the very, very end and the infamous Anne Smith must score episode. Um, I know what I was thinking. 
uh, watching that. And I won't repeat it here, but um, Mr. So Tony Parks, Mr. Mujek, Gordon's Mike Robinson has kind of just sidestepped. Uh, I think it was Kevin Moran, and he's squared it to uh, Gordon Smith. And you're thinking, what are you thinking? Well, what was really interesting, and and it's the difference between going to a match live and watching it on TV live, is that the drama's worse because you've got the commentary team, you know, building that that kind of drama as well. So mm-hmm. once once they'd equalised. They that all the I, I never forget John Watson just talking all the time about this is going to be Brighton's day, this is going to be Brighton's day. And so he was putting it in our minds as United supporters watching it on TV that it was also going to so so now we were nervous because of the drama built up by the television commentary. And that obviously is what makes John Watson or did make John Watson such a great commentator. He was able to, you know, get you to emote if you like. But I agree with you, Paul. I think extra time flew us by but but a couple of things had happened that made us that made me much more nervous one was um we'd lost late in the game against liverpool in the league cup final which i mentioned you know a little while ago so that was at the back that was playing at the back of our mind you know we'd lost that momentum that tony was just talking about and and i'm thinking here we go again here we you know in march we were all over liverpool in the first half you know we'd lost it they came back and scored twice and we and we lost the game it's going to happen again. And then the other thing that was, and, and and again, you may remember it. I was also thinking, I don't want this to be Arsenal 79 all over again, where, you know, we lost in the last minute of the game. So we had a kind of history in our last two Wembley finals of, you know, not performing well in the closing stages of letting, of letting Wembley nerves take over. So to say that I was chewing, you know, fingernails and, there was there was nerves going around. I, I I remember my father saying to me, "For God's sake, sit down," because I was I was pacing. Um, I don't know if that's a something everybody does at home, but you know I get into this habit of when I'm nervous, I have to stand up. I can't sit down, and I I start to pace. And and he's a very calm person, so he was like telling me to sit. And it's three o'clock in the morning, so he's telling me sit down because um, I'm 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 walking around the, the living room. And uh, I, I couldn't wait for extra time to be over. And when and when Smith got the chance, put my head in the hands, and I I, I can't remember the shot because I didn't look. <laughs> and, and and Tony from the terraces, um, I don't even know what you were thinking at that point. Was you thinking this is this is a nightmare? This is we're just going to go home and go. And we've really just been beaten by the team that's been relegated. Was that thought there, or was it? Well. I, he had Smith had so much time you could actually yeah. process the the impending doom of defeat before he'd he'd struck it. He, I mean, I think it was it was a two on one. It was played quite slowly across to Smith, and he still had time to touch it. And you just knew he only really had to slot it in. And I don't even think Gary Bailey was particularly quickly to, quick to come out to, to to sort of block it, to sort of land on it, if you like, but. I think once Bailey um, saw saw Smith hesitate ever so slightly at that top level, he he, he gave himself a chance and just flung himself at it, and it, the, the cheer was 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 immense. Um, but yeah, I thought it was in. It looked like he just had to slot it in. He possibly didn't even need the first touch, but once he had the first touch, he had time to just put it into the corner. 
Um, yeah. The relief was was immense there. But I did have time to process. We're going to lose this now. Yeah, I, I I think that was probably the case for most on the terraces and and those watching from home. I think you know people talk about the the miss itself. Gary Bay does not, I don't think gets a huge amount of credit for it's actually a very good save. You know, he, 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 you know, say he was a bit slow getting there. But when he got down to it, it was it was actually a, a, a tremendous save. Um, you know, and we've seen the likes of of the Schmeichels over the years and, and the De Gea's do these kind of saves. But you know, that I mean, from I just thought, yeah, it, it was a bad miss, and I and I, you know, I'm sure that Gordon Smith gets reminded of that every time he talks football about something. But I think equally, it was a tremendous save from from Gary Bailey. Um, so. I've got to go through some some Facebook comments as well because they're they're absolutely blinding. Stephen Spencer was there for both matches. Had a bit of a tumble in a curry house in St Albans the night before the first game. Steve Foster, what a difference you have made from the replay stands out. John Evans couldn't get tickets for the first game. He got one for the replay. Stevie Foster, what a difference you have made. Stayed in London. He ended up in Soho for the night. Angela Blaney on Facebook was there. Flew over for the game, but had to come back. So Mr. Replay, they'll have a fab time though. Uh, Mike Styles was there for the replay. Stevie Foster, what a difference you have made. That's a that's a common repeating theme. Tommy Miller, I was there that day with just enough money to stay over somewhere for the night. We realised after the draw that we would have had to return in the week for the replay, which meant funds would be short. Dave Hillfunk Sheetha on, on Facebook. This is brilliant. He wore a kilt and a sporran and a Dennis Law shirt to the first game. Crazy days on the booze. A big day out in those days. Replay toned down, but still on the booze. Uh, George Patterson was there behind the goal. Ray Wilkins scored a screamer and the save at the end saved us. Uh, Noreen Gill, she was there with her late husband for the both games. On the way down to the first one, we stopped at a pub in Woodstock, uh, which was a bit off the beaten track. Can't remember the name of the pub. They put breakfast on for all of us on the coach. Um, and the weather wasn't, you know, probably what the weather was like as well. It wasn't very good. Sue Jones was there for both games. Wow, what a game and was almost taken from us with Gordon Smith. Exceptional save from Gary Bailey. Uh, roll on Thursday, armed with my bowler hat that she had for both matches with Rollable Robbo on. I think that's a bit of a nod to Rollable Rocco, the um, the, the wrestler from back in the day, the old world of sport. Uh, uh, United will brighten the night. Apparently that was what she had on on a uh, top hat. How true! What a game! What a player! What a captain! And Mark Birkin got nicked before kickoff. And when I when I pressed him a little bit, he said allegedly threatening a load of Brighton fans by shaking a can of beer and opening it towards them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, honestly, some of these stories are unbelievable. But before we get on to the replay, I just want to take a few minutes to talk about Alan Davis. Um, he was man of the match in the first game. And I'm going to put my hands up and say, I didn't really know that much about him. Um, I know there was a photo sort of taken before the game between himself, Ashley Grimes and Laurie Cunningham about who was going to get the number 11 shirt. Um, Cunningham, I think was injured. Ashley Grimes made the bench, but Alan Davis took it. Um, And I don't think he gets enough airtime. Does Alan Davis. And, and I just thought he was absolutely superb in the first game, he, he he looked like he'd been playing for United in the first team for years. Just very composed. Uh, I think he set up one of the goals in the replay. If, I, if my memory serves me right, could be wrong. Um, set up two in the replay. Sorry. Set up two in the replay. He set up two of them. Yeah, okay. So so um so Tony, Mr. Mujak, Alan Davis. Um, what do you remember about his performance on that day? And 
Well, one of the, one of the just really composed, was... just really composed, and for a you know for playing the midfield alongside Wilkins, Robbo, and Arnold Muren. But what was interesting was Alan was a central midfielder, and um, Manchester schoolboy. He had come through the youth system with Mike Duxbury. Um, but because of the likes of Wilkins and Robson, never really, and those two between them didn't really get injured very often. And then Whiteside and Hughes were just behind him. And then, and, and he was also in the same team as Andy Ritchie, um, which obviously people remember. So, um, and he was very well thought of. He, had, he was very high caliber, but he was just surrounded in that midfield position by some very good players. And when he was, um, a touch younger, he didn't have the physicality that was required to push his way into the first team. It was a, it was particularly a central midfield, and he didn't have the speed to be what we've called an orthodox winger. So you had Koppel on one side, you had, um, you had Mickey Thomas for a while on the other side. You know, he didn't have that kind of wing play that that you would expect. He was more considered as a player, but he was very, very well thought of. I remember talking to his family. Um, when I was was putting the the youth book together, and they were saying he was he was offered so many terms by other clubs they wanted him, but he was a United fan and he wanted to stay at United. And then, when obviously, as you quite rightly said, Paul, when Copper was injured, and then Cunningham and um, Grimes were kind of in contention for that shirt, and then Laurie was injured. It was probably between Grimes and and um, and, and Alan Davies. But Alan Davies had scored quite a few important goals for the reserves. And I don't know. I, I mean, I still don't know to this day. It's probably a question that I would love to ask Ron Atkinson. What made him choose Alan Davies over Ashley Grimes? Because that's really the decision he had to take with Ashley Grimes getting the bench. Because what would have been more logical with Ashley Grimes's experience would put Ashley Grimes on the left wing or on the right wing, whatever, and give Alan Davies the bench. So it, it, it was really interesting why Atkinson did what he did. But for those at the club, they knew they had a very, very good player. And I, and if, I don't know if you remember a, a season or so later when he played against Juventus in the Cup Winners' Cup. He was man of the match in that game as well. He was a very mm. good player. Um, unfortunately, he got injured and, and so on. And we know what happened since then. But... But he was very, very, he was just a late bloomer, Paul. He was one of those players. He was slight, very technically gifted, but he didn't have the physicality. He was more in Muir. I always felt that he could take over from Murin as opposed to taking over from Robson or, or Wilkins, if that makes sense. He was kind mm. of a Murin type of player. But for most people, they never knew who he was because the average person, you know, never watched the reserves. You didn't get reserves on the, on you know, there was no MUTV, so you never watched the reserves play. The only way you would have known anything about him is if you went to a reserve game at Old Trafford, Central League game, and and watched him week in, week out. That was that was the only way you got to know about these these youngsters coming through. Yeah, I know when I've, you know, had exchanges with Norman Whiteside on social media, he speaks very, very highly of, he was of Alan player. Davis and, and his ability. He was, he was fantastic. He's just... You know, I guess for the for those that, and I get, I've admitted that I I didn't really know who he was, and it was like, oh, okay, but he might, you know, what can I say? His performance on the day kind of just put it in a nutshell for. Him. I mean, Tony, um, when you was on the terraces 
Um, did you have prior knowledge of Alan Davis? If if you if he did, uh, or if he didn't, did it was it a bit of a surprise? Did you think that actually Grimes might have got that shirt on for, for that game? And I suppose in hindsight, we're quite glad he didn't. Not no disrespect, but Davis just had a phenomenal couple of games. Yeah, yeah, he was he was great over over both games and and very penetrative uh, on the second game. I, I feel. Um, I, I always thought on the, at the time as it was getting towards it was a bit like Arthur Alderston coming into a 77 team late on um, as a youngster and, and being given a quite a, a major task to, to fulfil. So it was quite surprising that Davis got the nod, especially with Ron Atkins, because he wasn't known really for, for playing too many youngsters. Um, he, he brought Whiteside and uh, Hughes uh, in, into the first team. Um, of, of course, but other than that, he wasn't really known for blooding youngsters. So for um, Davis to get the nod over Grimes once at Cunningham, who you imagine would have been Atkinson's first choice of that role had he been fit, uh, was was a great show of faith uh, in him and probably showed just how well he'd been doing in, in reserve games and in training around the first-team squad in, in the games leading up to the final. Uh, and we had plenty of those games in, in from April to sort of mid-May. We had a lot of games, a lot of league games. Um, I think we had six games in, in 15 days. Uh, and, and I imagine Atkinson had a good look at the options uh, in, in, the, in that fortnight or so before the final. Yeah. I, I, I you know, I, you know, what could have been? Um, like I say, Tony, he got injured and obviously we're not going to go down the route of, of what happened, but just immortalised forever, I think, Alan Davis um, as a massive part of the success that United had in that FA Cup final um, um, in, in both matches. And get to man of the match in both games is not a mistake. You know, you clearly you know, look at some of the, the players around him. We've mentioned those. That's that's no mean feat. So, um, yeah, I, I, I just wanted to give him a bit of airtime because I think it's important that we do acknowledge, the, you know, the players like Alan Davis who that had such a massive impact in that game. Uh, Graham Smith uh, on Facebook was there for the first game with his dad and it rained all day. Yes, it did. Brighton arrived by helicopter. He was right along the line when Ray curled in that fantastic goal and watched in fear, which we've spoken about as Gordon Smith took aim in the dying seconds. Thank God for Gary Bailey. Uh, Trev Ward, I was at both games, particularly enjoyed Butch's goal and the difference Steve Foster made in the replay. There's a real theme running through this, you can tell. Ronnie Norman, Ray Wilkins, superb goal. Sat in line with six-yard box when Bailey saved from Smith. Remember having to walk away from Soho to get a drink due to some pubs refusing to let United fans in. Uh, David Watkins went to the replay. Three of us, three of us soldiers travelled from Germany to meet one of our mates who was at the final and got us tickets for the replay. We had to be back for duty the next day. Long two days, but well worth it. Um, let's get on to the replay. A little bit more straightforward. And probably as... As was expected, I think. Um, you know, I think once Robbo scored um, that opening goal, was the result ever in doubt, um, Tony, Mr. Mujak? Well, I think what was interesting um, was um, Jimmy Case kind of, him and Grealish bossed the midfield in the first game when they were talking about it. And I, I remember watching the replays because you know, it used to, you know, get them on the the the, the, the um um the old cassettes years and years ago, and you used to watch them back, and you'd say, you know, what was going on? And Grealish and Grealish and um, 
case kind of dominated. And I think if you look at the replay, Atkinson did something slightly different in the setup, even though we, we normally played 4-4-2. He almost went to a 4-3-3. But what he did was he he made, if you, if you look at the replay, if you ever watch the game properly, um, you know, and, and it's easy in hindsight, you're only, you're only young at the time, but, you know, knowing what we now know about tactics and all the rest of it. What he did was he played Robson in a much more forward role than he had in the first game. And he made Ray Wilkins sit a little bit more, you know, in a classic, what we would call a classic six now. So what happened was you then, it, it, and Muren dropped a little bit. So he, he kind of just boxed the midfield a little bit differently. And then what he said, I don't know what he said, but what happened was you then had Robson versus Case. And as soon as Robson in the first, I think, five or ten minutes, Robson bossed Case. He won two or three really big tackles. I mean, pretty ferocious tackles. And then all of a sudden you could see all you, you just felt. I mean, there was a feeling that it was going to be our night anyway, because Brighton had had their chance. And, you know, we felt right now we're going to get it done you know, our class would show it. There was a feeling of that, certainly from my perspective. And then when Robson won those first few tackles, it gave you even more confidence because when he was on his game, he was really on his game. And I thought he had a little bit more freedom. And, and when you look back, it's because Atkinson just dropped Muren a little bit defensively and made Ray play in front of the back four a little bit more to control things, which meant Ray didn't have to do as much running as well. And all of a sudden, Robson... It, it became the Brian Robson show for, as far as I was concerned. Yeah. And he started spraying passes around. He started tackling people. And all of a sudden, Case was out of the game. And Grealish was on his own. And Grealish was a good little player. But he wasn't in the class of the others. And I think that changed the whole momentum in the game. Those, those first 10 or 15 minutes before we scored, we were well on top. And Robson was just Mr. Colossus. And he was just prancing about doing what Brian Robson does well. You know, and I just felt, I, and that just gave me huge confidence. Before we even scored, I just felt this is we're going to be okay. Yeah, I think I, I think you're absolutely spot on when he, you know, when he, he he took the game by the scruff of the neck in typical Robbo style. And you know, I think once that first goal went in, I'll never and then I'll never forget John Motson's commentary. I think that's the goal that Manchester United wanted from their captain. Yeah. Um, Tony, was it was that on the terraces as well? Did you have that? Did it have a different feel about it, or was there a are we going to be in a similar position, or was there a, a feeling of this is this, this is going to be it? Now we are. What was there a confidence on the terrace, or was this was it still edgy and nervy? How did it feel at the time? Apprehension there after Brian had played so well earlier. I think uh, the older Reds thought United would steamroll it, and they were proved correct in the end. Um, but there's still some apprehension from people who weren't quite so confident. But um, as Tony said, once we got going on that game, we never really looked back. Um, the goals started to roll in quite quickly as well. And um, there was a fewer neutrals there, I felt, on Thursday. So it was a, a bigger bank of United fans uh, at, the, at, at one end. I'm not sure if it was more United fans in the ground as such, but it was certainly a bigger bank. And uh, it, it just felt like it was going to be a night of celebration quite quite quickly and that Bryce had very little answer to what what was going on um on the pitch um yeah I'm, I, I, certainly I, those I, early goals quietened their crowd oh for sure and i've had you know quite a lot of comments as well about it was matt 
uh, Sir Matt Busby's birthday, yeah. and there's lots of cheering, uh, chanting of "Happy Birthday, Sir Matt" uh, or at, at that particular time as well. Um, you know, you know, we we obviously, I think we made it a bit safer about five minutes later um, when uh, you know Alan Davis, who did the little touchback for for Robbo to drive it past Graham Mosley into the net, and then he um, latched onto a, he got the put the ball over, and uh, Norman glancing header that actually at that point or as of 2019 that made him the uh, the as 18 year old the youngest player to ever score an FA Cup final um was that second goal crucial to the whole flow of the match at that point did you feel at 1-0 it was still a little bit we could give up here or was it at 2-0 yeah we're home and dry um Tony Mr you Jack what did you how did you how did you see that how important was it to get that second goal so quickly after the first do you know what? I didn't it's a good question because I haven't really thought of it in that way. I just felt that once we got the first, we were dominant still. We we were cocky. We, there was a cockiness about our play that night that was definitely lacking in the first game. And it reminded me of the first half against Liverpool in the League Cup final. We were we were very strong against them in that league. We it was almost like we got our little bit of confidence back that we'd lacked for a few weeks, whatever it was. And 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 we were knocking the ball around really well. And it was like a second was just going to come. I, and I didn't, I can't remember. I'd have to look back at the tape, but I can't remember them. I can't remember Gary Bailey making many saves. I think, I think from memory, he might have touched one over the bar, you know, like a a long range shot from Smiley from memory. He, he touched over the bar, you know, halfway through the second half or something. But I don't think they really threatened Gary Bailey at all. I, I don't remember any save he made. I thought I thought once we scored the first, their hearts sunk as if to say, you know, they'd lost their opportunity. And as you say, and then Norman scored, and it was all over at two 0 Yeah, Tony, was that the feeling from the from where you were standing in Wembley as well? It was important to get a second goal as quickly as we did after the first one to settle the nerves. Um, and did you feel at one 0 it was still a little bit anyone's game? Oh, I think at one 0 especially after the first game, I think you know Brighton. We weren't counting Brighton out, but the second one came reasonably quickly uh, and then it became a little bit like the exhibition we were expecting on the Saturday, um, probably arrogantly expecting on the Saturday and, and really played them off the pitch in, this, in that first half especially. Second half was a bit more sedate, but I, I don't think Brighton had much answer to what we were doing in that first half. I think um, their, their season had been run by, by that point and um, certainly 2-0 down it would have been you know, an almighty shock if Brighton had, um, had offered anything after that we were really dominant especially in midfield um, nothing was coming through as well they weren't getting as Tony said they weren't, they weren't making chances at the other end um, we were as firm a grasp as you could want in the first half of the cup final replay yeah. I'll tell you something we didn't quite touch on a little bit earlier was Arnold Muren's pass to Ray Wilkins for that goal in the first game. Just like he, he a big, tall, big tackle from I think Norman Whiteside and he picked it up and just into on, on a plate. And, a, 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 you know, I, I meant to mention that about how good that pass was as well. At 2-0, the wind is knocked out of Brighton sails. Did you ever think it was going to get to four? Did you think it could have been more, should have been more? Or do you think United, once they scored their third with... I think Gordon McQueen flicking it on to the far post and then Robbo just bundling it into the back of the net. At 3-0 at half-time, did you think that this is going to be a cricket score 
or do you think three 0 is going to play the forty five minutes out? Where, where did you think that was going to go? Where did you think you know, going to go? That's uh, to uh, Tony. Tony, Mister Mujak. Well, I, again, I think it's different on watching it on television than than on the on the terraces because mm. what's happening is John Motson's throwing statistics at you, so he's <laughs> suddenly saying, you know. It's been so many years since there's been four goals. There's been so many years since there's been five goals. So now the now even the commentators are saying United have won it, and it's just a matter of by how many. So when when and it was completely different. The commentary was so different from the first game to the second game. It was almost like, yeah, well done, Brighton. You've had your moment in time. You know, you've you've held your heads up high, but you've been up against you know, a different class of team tonight. And now let's talk about United. And all the talk then on the television was, you know, Robson and, and, and um, you know, how well we controlled the game. And and then it was, it was really talking about, um, you know, how many we were going to score. And and then, of course, we get the penalty, which was, I, I, don't, I, I, can't, I can't remember exactly, but it was maybe just, it wasn't it wasn't right near the end, but it was probably halfway through the second half we got the penalty. And we were all hoping Robson was going to get it for his hat-trick to be the only player to score a hat-trick in the final. And he gives it to Murin because he's the penalty taker. And, of course, the commentary is going on about this. And it was almost like Robson was controlling everything. You know what I mean? Just by doing that, Robson was even in control, if that makes sense, Paul. You know, he was dictating the temper of the game. He was dictating the action of the game. He was dictating the the leadership of the game. He was just dictating everything at that point. Even when people were saying to him, you take it, he went, no, I'm not the penalty taker. Murin's the penalty taker. Arnold's taking it. You know, and it was just this huge confidence that Robbo was giving around that ground at that time that, you know, anything could have happened in terms of score. But it, it was just, it was just over by half time. It really was. Um, and and as Tony said, we just took our foot off the gas in the second half and just controlled it. Yeah, I mean, I think it wasn't Robbo got bundled over um, for the penalty. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, I, I guess every man and his dog, Tony on the terraces, screaming for Robbo to take it to get an FA Cup final hat trick. Um, but it turns out in later years that it was already pre-agreed that any penalties Arnold Muran would take them, and uh, you know, Robbo Robbo did his captain bit and gave him that. Um, did you feel the same on uh, when you were watching it, for, uh, you know, from um, the Wembley Terraces, Tony? That it was the second half, kind of just limped across. Not it limped over the line, but it, it, you know the intensity was taken off to a three nil up, and then and then we get the penalty. Was it? Um, did you have that kind of feeling watching that? Yeah, I think it was. It was very celebratory, and I think on the pitch it'd be. Brighton had accepted defeat and didn't want the thrashing and United were accepting the trophy without having to hand out the thrashing. Um, I think it was a bit like sparring in many ways. I remember being really upset that Robson didn't get to take the penalty. He was my favourite yeah. player. And for him to get an FA Cup final hat-trick would have been unbelievable. Uh, and, and I really uh, unhappy. That was the only downside of the entire day that was that Muren got to take and fair play to him dispatch for penalty. I think he was the first um, uh, European player, wasn't he? First non-UK and non-Irish player to score in a cup final as well. Um, so, so you know, he deserved a goal. He was a great player. But I was really disappointed with that. And then there was all the stuff with it being Sir Matt Busby's birthday, singing happy birthday to, to Sir Matt um, from the end. And 
you couldn't see him obviously you couldn't pick him out from where the united fans were but when he raised his hat then you could see his hat going his pale hat in the sky and of course that brought the house down as well um so it was a great second half of celebration and singing and um you know possibly a bit more sporting to to win it just for rather than trying just uh you know rub brighton's nose in the dirt yeah and and arnold muran's little head flick little hair flick just before he he takes that that's been pointed out many times is if you don't notice slow it down you'll see him just kindly flick his hair to to one side but it was a i don't know it was a beautiful penalty it was just stroked it into the net didn't he and it and at four nil yeah did you, you you know you want to go oh, let's get five and let's get six but i think united took pity on them in the end um so Pad, paddy reardon who's on facebook he was there is the replay his mate chop had chicken pox um damien crowther great day out heart in mouth in the last minute going to the first game thursday was easy happy birthday sir matt uh Gina stockport went to both games the good old days lots of good old days comments happy days queuing up overnight waiting for ticket office to open on a sunday morning and getting on dave smith who's supporters club coaches uh kelvin dilly was there for both games five pound entry both times guys on the turnstiles became rich as it seemed that no one had any tickets Stu McGeorge singing Billy Bunter to a fat Brighton fan and singing Stevie Foster. What a difference you have made. There was a there was a big there was a big thing in the media about Steve Foster being the, the saving grace and, and he was a great defender. Um it just didn't make an iota a difference when United clicked into gear and um those games. So it was uh, I, I guess United fans were thoroughly enjoying that moment of uh, of singing Stevie Foster, what a what a difference you have made. Well, yeah. I think what also happened was if you look at the second goal, Whiteside left him on his knees um, and just caught him cold in terms of going in front of him from Alan Davies' cross. And he made him look foolish because in actual fact, Steve Gatting played centre-half in the first game and kept Norman under control for, for a large part of the game because um, Ramsey was the fullback and he, and he was injured for the second game. So Gatting got moved to fullback. And I think that's what... You know, Whiteside had more of a an influence in the second game with his physicality, because um, Foster what Foster in the paper was saying he relished the physicality. Well, you don't say that to Norman Whiteside. <laughs> no, you don't. You do not say that to Norman at all. No. Um, you know, he's only but, seventeen yeah, or eighteen, and you're saying to him, well, "I'm going to, you know, you know, I'm not going to let you get away with it," because they were upset that that you know Norman had hurt. Um, Chris Ramsey in the first game. He yes, which is why he never played in the in, in the second game. Yeah, I know. I remember looking at the newspapers afterwards, and uh, Foster was saying that you know, not exactly retribution, but now he's back in the team. You know, Whiteside won't be pushing his weight around as much, and it, and I just and, I, and then I remember him getting left on the floor, and that's when the chant started coming out. Foster, what a difference you've made because because you didn't bully Whiteside at all. Yeah. I don't think anybody got to bully Norman around, to be fair. I remember Derek Wallace in the Daily Mirror the next day uh, described the chance as cruel and unnecessary. <laughs> uh, football crowds for you, though, right? <laughs> it's, it's all about that. It's good banter these days, I think, isn't it? Yeah, but uh, Brian Beaumont on Twitter, going to Malta two days after, watching the replay in the United bar, First time realising what a huge fan base in, they, that they had in Malta and it's massive out there. Uh, Dave D73, for the first game, he was on holiday in Portugal. Very nice too. The replay, we were back home and I remember jumping on my dad's back and getting the piggyback off him around the front room when the final whistle went. 
was only nine. Uh, Adam Daber, remember both games, but what sticks in his mind most is the coach driver on the return from the replay took a wrong turn and coming back to Manchester via Sheffield, getting home at five o'clock in the morning. Very good spirits on the coach despite this. Um, uh, Tony Walsh says, lucky in the first game, Smith must score. Thank God he didn't. Jimmy Case kicking everything that moved. Thank God for Robbo and the 4-0. Um, and of course, Robbo went up to receive the trophy, the first of three that he would pick up as, mm. as United captain. Um, I mean, just just a brilliant day, just a brilliant um, replay and winning the FA Cup. You know, we after the disappointment four years earlier, and you look at it, we were in finals in 76, 77, 79, 83 and 85. So we were we were a damn fine cup side back in the day. It just never quite translated into um, into league performances. But as as we've we've all touched on, the FA Cup had just something magical about it. That that was if you're going to win a trophy, that's the one you wanted to win. Um, guys, do you know what? Honestly, I could chat for hours about um, about that that final and talking about the comments and the experiences. Um, I really appreciate both of you coming on. Um, this evening's podcast. Uh, apologies for the the fraught nature of it, which um, I won't go into right now. But we, we we finally got there. So Tony Tony Davies, who was 15 years old um, and on the terraces of both games at uh, the final, you can find him on Twitter at Tony RD66. And um, Tony Park is at Mr Mujek. Find him on Twitter there. Gentlemen, thank you so much indeed for your time this evening. And maybe we'll see you on a on a future podcast as we talk all united before fergie can i leave you with one stat as we sign off of course for? you can absolutely you can um, we with our result yesterday we've become the only team to reach an fa cup final of every decade since the second world war I'm so sorry. we talk we talk about the fa cup being in our blood and in our history well it certainly is absolutely and tony davis pretty much thank you very much indeed for you coming on as well um it's been fascinating hearing your experiences as a as a teenager on the terraces at both of those games. Thank you so much for for sharing your experiences. No problem. I've really enjoyed it. Excellent. Well, thank you. No worries at all. Thank you, guys. So this has been episode three of the UBF podcast, the Fergie podcast. Hope you've enjoyed it. Please like and subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. If you're listening back on the audio podcast, please be sure to leave a review. And we'll be back next Monday. I'd say eight thirty now, but I shall. Um, I shall. Uh, tongue firmly in the in my cheek there, but eight thirty next Monday. We'll be back with another United Before Fergie podcast. Until then, have a great week, and uh, we'll see you then. Good night, everyone. Good night. Good night. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the Pro Pilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. 
Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.